Hey Hansel, I know you like to take these things, but I'm gonna do the intro today, okay? All right, did you hear about the law that's happening in California? What happened? So basically, the idea here is health insurance providers have to make abortion access mandatory in order to sell insurance here. If they don't, they can't sell. And that violates the federal government's law that says that you can't make abortion something that's forced on any health insurance provider. Okay. As a result of this, they can lose up to $800 million this year. But hold on. It could be a good thing if the government withholds that money, but then uses it for maybe underserved communities? You would think so, because that's what it's earmarked for, but it's probably gonna go to like fund the tax cuts, I'd imagine. Well, so do, are they pro-birth or pro-life? Yeah, what's the difference? We should probably talk about that. Okay. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to Kingdom Thinking. Today, we're gonna talk about, from a faith perspective, how to distinguish the difference between what we're calling pro-life position, which is typically understood as the, the Christian disposition to defend the unborn and to uh, refuse abortions, and pro-birth, which would be the, the myopic, singular perspective on the unborn without reference or context to the rest of the life. We actually have some interesting takes for you guys today. Uh, Josh, why don't you start us off? Yeah, so basically when we talk about the idea of abortion, right, it's pretty clearly seen as like this Christian versus non-Christian conversation. Yeah, oftentimes. And while the main thrust of like the Orthodox of Christianity for its historical longevity is the idea here is like Christians believe that every life is worthy of defense and life begins at conception, right? There are some branches within the Christian umbrella that would actually try to make the opposite assertion that actually being able to have access to an abortion is something that is justified on a scriptural basis. And one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this today is because it's something that's kind of gaining popularity. And so we wanted to Even analyze, Christians, yeah, yeah, especially in Christian circles. And so we wanted to analyze that movement and see just kind of where it stands on its face and what, you know, if there's any validity to it or just kind of examine Good. its reality. So what we did was we've got two articles that were written. One was written by uh, an interview with the pastor. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other one is with like a feminist theologian who's a professor and, yeah. uh, you know, a religious scholar. And so the first thing that we're going to be looking at uh, is an article that comes from a pastor in the United Church of Christ movement. And uh, her name is Jess Cast, and it was uh, an interview in an article that was published in The Atlantic. Okay. All right. And so uh, her main thrust behind this whole idea is that our body is a temple of God and it's holy. And she says, quote, uh, I see that as I have the right to have choices over my body and the freedom to make decisions that are right for me. All right. Hold on. Let me, let me stop you real quick right there. So she's interviewed on the topic. And the first thing she said was the reference to our body is a temple of God and our body is holy. Right. And her inference from that is I have the right of choice over my body and the freedom to make decisions that are right for me. Mm -hmm. This mm -hmm. is quote. Yeah, yeah, this okay. is a direct quote. All right, just want to make sure I yep. got that right. Yep, and so as she continues on, she talks about this idea that how in Genesis, right, Genesis talks about how we're God-breathed. And so God breathes his spirit into our lives, and Christians would rightly say, right, like, that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so because of that, we're not puppets controlled by God. Okay. And so the idea here is freedom, individual choice, is kind okay. of the perennial right mm -hmm. that we need to ascribe to in order to really live out Christianity to its fullest, right, in order to live out our walk with God. And then she goes on, uh, she quotes John 10.10 here, right, the idea of, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, the I being Jesus, have come that people may have life and have it abundantly, right? And okay. that abundant life uh, idea is the word zoe in Greek, which means that, you know, you're not just living and breathing, but you're actually having a meaningful life with love and contentment and satisfaction as opposed to, like, 
the constant struggle or just being in a position of where you can never really ascertain those things because of perhaps, you know, a, an unplanned child. Yeah. Yeah. And so she says because of that life, because or because of that, because she values life and she believes that Jesus values life, uh, the choice is, is the choice is incredibly important there hmm. because without the choice, you can't necessarily have the life that you need to quote unquote live abundantly. Okay. Right, but that that gets taken a step further with a direct interview question, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, so the author uh, asks her, do you think there's any context in which it's immoral to have an abortion, right? So any contextual circumstances ever, is is it ever okay? And she says, "Uh, I don't, I really don't, I don't think I do. For me, it's a healthcare issue, and the best person to make the decision is the person who has to decide that. And if that person believes it's immoral for them, then I would have to honor the conscience of that person and walk with them through what they chose. Okay, so let's let's talk about this for a second Mm -hmm. here. This is a uh, Christian pastor. Yeah. Okay, and in this interview where she's asked about the conviction, um, or the decision to abortion, she states pretty unequivocally that her belief is that the right to choose is the supreme value there. Mm-hmm. So this is interesting to me, and I'm going to be honest with you, I have a, a hard time just understanding the logic just fundamentally yeah. of this. Sure, sure. Although if, if to be as charitable as possible, it seems that her main extrapolation is that uh, the gospel or the life that God brings translates directly to a specific kind of choice or freedom Yeah, that uh, it, it almost reminds me of this like rationalistic Descartes, um, the individual, the yeah. I yeah. as separated Precisely. from the community Precisely. is the ultimate authority, right? And then that gets, you know, on steroids in the, the Reformation, the, excuse me, the Renaissance, mm-hmm. Enlightenment. And now here we are, you know, America, American values, which are in, in many senses, um, Supremely individualistic. Exactly, exactly. So that's what I gather from this, Mm -hmm. that the I, the individual who lives in and of himself apart from the authority or the oppression values of community, that's what gets translated out of the gospel. So I just have a hard time with that just because um, the exegetical work that it takes to get there seems pretty fragile to me. Um, it also seems to pre-understand words like life, mm-hmm. concepts like life, concepts like freedom um, in a really unique way, like Renaissance, Enlightenment, yeah. individualistic ways. Um, it also seems that to want to commit to some sort of Christian values or Christian framework right. and to want to commit to choice as the highest value um, I think you have to start giving up some things like the nature of God, the story of the gospel, of God's self-giving, right? You're almost talking like the New Testament in its entirety there. (laughs) Right? It's like the orientation of life as it's expressed in the story of the Bible is it's the other way. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, entirely, entirely. And and this to me is kind of the – so ignoring for a moment like uh, what is kind of like a weird cherry-picking or verses, you know, in in this discussion uh, and using like – extremely contextually specific verses there, right? Yeah. Like there's no interpretive world of which I'm aware where John 10, 10 can mean abortion. Yeah. Uh, like I just, it's, yeah. it's just not there exegetically. Now, if you want to say we move past that, if you want to say we move like then from a logical standpoint, your argument makes sense. It's not a good one there, but at least yeah. you understand what somebody's trying to say there. Correct. Uh, but beyond that, like this idea of uh, moving towards the hyper individualism there seems to be entirely out of step with what we know from 
Genesis to Revelation. Like the whole idea is the community over and above the self, right? Mm-hmm. And and if we don't contribute to that, like what are we saying? Now, uh, what she is trying to say here, and what we will unpack more in the discussion is like uh, abortion's not an isolated thing, right? And it can't be boiled down to the simple like yes or no kind of conversation, and it needs to be considered in a greater context. And we'll we'll unpack that more in in kind of the discussion to come mm-hmm. there. And, and so that, but that's the only type of charitable disposition that you can give yeah. this thing from where from where I'm sitting. And then beyond that, though, it seems to run into if choice is the ultimate ethic. Uh, by which we have to live and navigate the world and through which we ought to view the world, the lens by which we, we uh, live. The, the idea here is like, if life scientifically begins at conception, which it does, right? And you may not impart the same value or the same whatever to it. You're still eliminating mm. choice from that potentially developable individual, mm-hmm. right? And, and so I, you know, but it's the my choice versus that thing's choice. Like, that thing didn't have a choice to grow mm-hmm. there. And so it seems to fall a little flat or at least not take that part into consideration or say so subjectively that my ability to choose is more important than your ability to choose, right, mm-hmm. to the developing zygote. There. And that feels problematic to me because it moves out of whatever uh, semi-objective internal, framework yeah, that we can pull out of Scripture yeah. there and to try and live under. Yeah. And it, re- it puts the self at the center of the story correct. in a way that strikes me as quite problematic. Yeah, 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 correct, correct. And I think a counterexample to options or situations in life where choice is not the ultimate value mm-hmm. would be something like suicidal clients, yeah. or therapists, or even think of hospitalized patients who uh, maybe a coma mm-hmm. or um, are in almost a vegetable state, right? Yeah. Just because... Uh, a suicidal client like of a therapist or a psychiatrist wants to say hey i no longer want to live right doesn't mean that's the ultimate value right in right. fact legally the psychiatrist right. is mandated to act in opposite direction of right. that for good measure right yeah so like i could choose not to wear my seatbelt, but i'm still going to get a ticket so i think that there's enough examples in in society where we could see well so many times choice isn't the ultimate value mm-hmm. in order for flourishing to happen. So I have a hard time seeing uh, too many strengths from a, a faith perspective of how you can maintain the faith convictions right. and still say, no, 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 but ultimately choice. Right. Now, granted, if you don't have a faith perspective and you want to say, yeah, but it's not a person endowed with person rights until it's born, that's fine. Right, right, you right, can right. say that if you want. We're just saying from a faith perspective, it doesn't have a ton of internal logic. Yeah, and, and that's why I think it's important to have this discussion as it relates to the church as a whole, because this is a, this is a more of an internal kind of conversation that in I think way, needs to yes. be had. In a way, yes. Uh, because this is not something that applies to, you know, I'm not going to ask somebody who's not a Christian to live under the values that I have as a Christian, right? Even though I think it's better for them, I'm not going to try and superimpose that on them in the sense of like, if they want to disagree with that, I can't say like, oh, well, Jesus says that's bad because they don't. That's not their ultimate Correct. authority. They, okay. don't, they don't care, okay. right? Good. Now, as we move to the second point, I, I want to hash out specifically here this, this kind of um, bit that we said at, at the beginning, mm-hmm. right? Pro-birth versus pro-life. Sure. And I think this second article here that we mentioned is pretty fascinating yeah. in the sense that it helps to hash this out a little bit more, and it helps to actually point out the speck in the eye, if you will, yeah. of of the Christian disposition or the, the evangelical disposition to focus a lot of effort, time, and money yep. into um, preventing births from being aborted 
but what about the rest? What about mm -hmm. the person after they're born? Mm -hmm. What about the mother? Um, I think this is a fair question, and I think this article talks a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah, so the second article uh, analysis uh, comes from a book that's written by a professor of religious studies at Elon University. So she's a feminist theologian, okay. uh, and the book is entitled Trust Women, uh, a Progressive Christian Argument for Reproductive Justice. Okay, so let, let me stop you there. What, progressive Christian, what does that mean? So uh, progressive Christian would be something that's uh, more like mainline okay. in its denomination, right? So not evangelical. You can kind of think like a PCUSA or maybe a, uh, some okay. branches of Episcopalian, cool. uh, some Anglican, you know. So you have like traditional, yeah. evangelical, and then w for our purposes of the discussion, we're saying progressive is a tradition different than evangelicals. Yeah, okay. yeah. And, and so the idea here is she wants to move the conversation uh, away from a simple conversation about whether or not you should ever have an abortion or whether or not, you know, abortion can be ever justified in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and and her name, by the way, is Rebecca Todd Peters. Okay. Uh, and and so, so what Professor Peters is talking about is this idea of trying to properly define abortion as a part of a series of choices that women have to make okay. every day. And this okay. is good because it moves us out of this nebulous conversation of like, Yes, no, act. yes, no. It's just a singular thing, okay. like an isolated point in time. Okay. And it's something that has, you know, a, a larger conversational so it framework around it. humanizes everybody yes. involved yes. in light of the decision. Yeah, so okay. this is what she says. Her desire in the book is to do the following. Okay. Uh, Peters offers a moral framework in the language of progressive Christianity and built on a foundation of reproductive justice. Now, this is interesting because this is actually an intersectional approach that was conceptualized mm. by a small uh, cohort of black women activists in the 90s. And what it does is it recognizes the complexity of women's reproductive lives. So within the context of a specific woman's life, they say, the moral consequences of having a child can be equal to, if not greater than, the moral consequences of having an abortion. And so... Yeah, this is interesting. So what I understand from that is by attempting to view the singularity of the decision to keep the baby or not, mm -hmm. the author is trying to contextualize that choice in what she's calling the, the reproductive justice or the mm -hmm. reproductive context, if you will, of the woman. So she's saying that Christians should view the morality of a choice, not just in that instant as a point in time, but as it would have rippling consequences. Out into the future of the life of the woman. Interesting. Yeah. So, so the ethic then for her or, or the point of discussion wouldn't be so much should I do this or should I not in that one time? Mm -hmm. But what would it look like to do this or not to enact this, mm -hmm. meaning abort the, the, the baby, um, as it relates to her continuous commitment to this child for at least, what, like 18 years? Yeah, I mean, at minimum. Right. right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So how does that, how do you think that changes things? Well, so one, I think what it does is that it shifts the framework of the conversation to, I think, something that's actually more helpful for okay. us to talk about because now we are talking about the morality of abortion in the larger context of the sphere of the life of the individual and 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 it's mom yeah and, and what and, dad. and what that does is it, it allows us to kind of see a bigger picture and i think a bigger picture is always a better okay. starting point so this is where we shift from just being pro-life meaning i don't want abortions right right to saying no 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 i not only not want abortions but i also care about yes. the people the communities the parents and this person until he's going to be 18 where yeah. he can fend for himself right and, and so this is what i i appreciate about this argument yeah. is it tends to it moves us like you're saying out of the pro-birth discussion into like the longevity of the socioeconomical cultural you know understanding of the position that the people find themselves yeah that, that's fascinating and you know it kind of makes me think about because i'm going to be honest i don't always understand what people mean when they say reproductive justice sure 
having said that, um, it reminds me of, do you remember the court hearings when uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh was mm-hmm. nominated mm-hmm. and it was, it was like a whole ordeal, right? Mm-hmm. I remember, for, I don't know why, but specifically I remember the snippet of, of the hearings where he was being questioned and the, the questioning was something like this. It was, to your knowledge, are there any laws uh, on the male that hinder or that um, control yeah, the male, male reproductive? Male uh-huh. And he goes, well, not to my knowledge. And it was, it's, it's a f- it's a really poignant question, yeah, right? Sure. Because the implications of that question are, then why in the world do we have laws or an ethic or a system of morality that would want to regulate that, Yeah, right? So this is interesting to me because on the one hand, you could see the disproportionate consequences that women have to bear both when they do abort and when they don't. Right. And I think Christians should at least have compassion and sympathy to the situations that lead to that. Sure. Moving away from anti-abortion to no actually being pro caring about everybody there. Correct. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. The second thing though is what if there were laws about that? Sure. And just, just humor me for a second, right? I think a common argument is, yeah, but in the case of a rape or an incest, the male doesn't have to bear that the mm-hmm. whole life. To ask a woman to not only, right, physically, no pun intended, bear that, the result of that trauma for nine months, but then for the rest of her life, that, that's a real concern, a real question, right? It's like, well, what if, what if there were laws on that? And here's what I mean by that. I mean, I, I've heard it kind of in passing and, and kind of a little snarky. What if we started castrating rapists? Sure. Um, what if... What if we, there were ways to force men, like, no, you can't leave. If you made this child, you need to be responsible. And I'm not just talking about, like, child support, right? But right, right, tangible right. ways that would um, more proportionally place the burden of responsibility to actually care for this human. And you know what? I'm for that. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting conversation, right? Because in the rare instances of, like, you know, so, so like, rape and incest make up, like, 0.01% Correct. of abortion cases. Mostly there. it's and, maybe, but like, accidental pregnancies or yeah, yeah. unwanted. And, and so there's a... There's, there is something fundamentally different about the way that a woman will experience childbirth from, um, or just any type of this process because they Correct. carry Correct. that what they do is so much more important, right, yes. than what the male contributes to the discussion. And so when we talk about like the inclusion of the male, if we talking about something like rape, then we actually force this like repetitive cycle of bad experiences on the victim who has to go through that right and and so we run into some of these difficulties right and and so some type of law is probably a good idea in terms of the conversation piece for this and I, i think what i appreciate about what she's trying to do in this is like say that this is something that affects somebody for a long time mm-hmm. in their life. And as Christians, we need to be people leading the charge in this discussion in terms mm-hmm. of having, you know, other methodologies available for people who, you know, who say, hey, look, if you want to carry it to term, adoption is an available option, or we can walk with you through this, and not condemning people if they do choose to have the abortion and walking with them through that, right, and, and through that experience. And so, uh, but I don't know... In, the, in her desire to reclaim a sense of justice for the reproductive rights of the female, that is mm-hmm. probably uh, something that, or not probably, is something that we need to look at and analyze as a nation on a level. I'm not sure that swinging the pendulum this far Correct. is the answer, right? Yes. But it makes sense because if you've had, you know, if you've not had the access that you deserve and you are entitled to, then of course you're going to try and reach as far as you can and, and get that. Uh, but I struggle with this conversation because I don't know how to parse out, right, the experience of the life developing and the individual who has to carry the life, right? And so there are, like, I 
do you say, do we say as a church, like, hey, there's just some things that are unfortunate or unfair, and this is just one of those things, like the way that biology has played itself out and just women have to deal with this differently than men? Or as a church, do we come alongside and say, like, yeah, this is something that you have to walk through, and it just, it's the way that biology set up or it's the way God intended it to be, depending on, you know, what your view on that, on all that is. And it's like, how do we move in that direction where we stand lock and step with people, but still protecting and valuing the sanctity of life, right? Still Correct. respecting the rights of the individual, but both individuals that Correct. exist in the scenario, Good. instead of simply pretending that the developing zygote isn't an individual or doesn't have some self agency or actualization that can be progressed, you know? Good. Good. Yes. Yeah. So, so to, to recap that a little bit, in my mind, the strengths of this position are that it actually targets the weaknesses of the traditional, you know, conservative anti-abortion yeah, sure. approach, right? It, it, it actually seems to be a valid check yeah. against that. However, it doesn't seem that um, terminating the life itself actually solves the problem. Right. It just seems to kind of kick the football down the field a little bit. Correct. And, and the idea, right, the, the notion that the rippling effects of a, of a pregnancy carried to term are going to be more substantive than the ripple effects of having an abortion. Exactly. There, that seems... That seems a little too optimistic. Yeah. And it's just, it's not the experience that I've seen or worked with people or went through myself right. when I, you know, I had to have an abortion when I was in high school there because of an ectopic pregnancy experience. And, and, and so that's something that I still think about all the time, you know, mm. and that reality is a heavy one to deal with. And mm. so uh, I don't think that it solves the problem like people like of to think it does. Yeah, yeah, right. And so, uh, so I think that's something that is a major hole in the thought process and okay. is lacking. Okay. There. However, it I think it does behoove the, the people of faith, the mm -hmm. church, to take some of these realities into account with singlehood and motherhood and unwed pregnancies yeah. and things that yeah. are obviously not ideal. For sure. And so to say on the one hand, abortion is not the answer to that and not on the other hand to commit 100% to coming alongside and caring for the mother and mm -hmm. the family and that life all, as long as it need be does seem to cheapen the value. Well, yeah, and because if somebody chooses to have an abortion, it doesn't make them any less worthy of love, care, kindness, consideration, respect, help, you know, guidance, Correct. counseling. Like, they're still entitled to all those things. And again, this is where the church can really lead the way mm. in this discussion. It's like, uh, if you want to see something become less, right, if we want to see less abortions, yeah. there, right? Become the solution. Yeah, the answer may not be legislation, though I mean, right. certainly that obviously would have a huge impact yeah. there. The answer may be for us as the church to actually go upstream because we know that politics is always downstream of culture. So going upstream and creating a better culture of care for people mm. who are walking through these situations yeah. there and providing better alternatives, yeah. walking along with, you know, whatever it might be yeah. there in order to help get the idea out that it's like, it doesn't have to be your life is over or you have to violate a huge part of yourself, you know, in order to be able to move on. Yeah, you know? no, I think that's super helpful. That's And as a concluding point, uh, I think it's noteworthy that we add that um, although in our contemporary time, there are uh, differences or Christian traditions that would disagree from the traditional sure. Christian understanding of abortion, there is substantive and significant amount of consistency throughout church history. Mm -hmm from the, the church fathers to the medieval theologians 
uh, and from the Reformation forward, um, especially and mainly also with a lot of Catholic theology, which was very yep. substantive yep. in the early church formation. And it's been very, very consistent uh, that the sanctity of life is, is always worth defending, begins at uh, conception, um, and has the, the, the rights and doubt to it. Well, and, yeah, and so here's, here's what I want to uh, read. So we see this, from the earliest times, Christians yeah. sharply distinguished themselves from surrounding pagan cultures by rejecting abortion and infanticide, right? Yeah. The earliest widely used documents of Christian teaching and practice after the New Testament in the first and second centuries, which are the Didache, right, the teaching of the Twelve Apostles and the Letter of Barnabas, condemned both practices, as did early regional and particular church councils. And here's why I think that's critically important, because before Christianity is married to the empire of Constantine, mm-hmm. right, in the century Mm -hmm. christianity explodes and the reason Mm -hmm. it explodes as a bottom-up religion is because it cared for people who were in the margins Mm. right and single countercultural single mothers there or people who get pregnant out of wedlock or people who get whatever right like people those people have a propensity to be shunned or Mm -hmm. to be you know slut shamed Mm -hmm. or to be whatever right Yeah, yeah and we have to get back to this, to yes. being known for this, to yeah. being known for caring for people and going after the people that are cast out to the margins. Yes. And this is the way that we make our mark on the world. by car- And also casting our net wide enough to include the people who have already had mm. abortions or who have already yes. walked through that experience. 100%. I think that is a super, super helpful point. And so I want to reiterate, if it is true that Christians care about babies not being aborted then let us really really care yeah. about those babies and their mothers and come after these people yeah. in, in a ministerial a truly pastoral self-giving way um i do think that is a a really helpful challenge yeah i don't know many churches that have like post-abortion care ministries right i mean how awesome right. would that be yeah amazing amazing what do you guys think um are are, are we out on a limb here are, are we are we crazy leave us a comment what do you think um, our desire is always to provide and be part of, of the solution, yeah, right? Not sure. just to point the finger. So we really look forward to hearing what you guys think. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time on Kingdom Thinking.